Uh, Debbie and I are both speaking today because this is an important talk and uh, we feel deeply about some of the things that we want to share with you. Every single one of us has been impacted by COVID over the last 18 months. It's been an extraordinary season which has affected how we've done life on so many levels. The pandemic disrupted every one of our lives and of course it massively disrupted, disrupted our life as a church. We couldn't meet at all. Then when we could meet, we couldn't sing. We had to be socially distanced. We had to wear masks. Socializing was strictly prohibited for a time. Our routines of going to small group, coming to church, basically were devastated. A lot of things have now changed, but you know, many of us have got into new routines of life. And while some of those routines have been beneficial, not all of them are improvements on where we were before COVID. And so we stand right now at a bit of a juncture. We need to be, give careful consideration to what parts, parts of life under COVID we might want to retain and which parts we need to ditch as we seek to establish fresh routines. Now, many of you here, uh, well, you're here today worshiping with us. Many of you are tuning into our services online. Many of you have re-engaged with serving or re-engaged now with your small group, especially as they're beginning to meet physically. However, we're aware that large numbers have drifted from doing any of those things and may therefore never hear what we have to say today. But you're here. You're here. And we're keen to talk with you about a couple of very important things and to remind us of why the habit of meeting together and participating in the life of the church is really crucial to our thriving as individuals and thriving as families. If you find this talk helpful, you might like to share it with others. In a letter that we sent to everyone on our address list a few weeks ago, we said that an important word which is used in the New Testament to describe the church community is fellowship. It's a word we don't use very much, especially outside the church, but it would have been very familiar to the early church, or at least the Greek word koinonia, from which our English word is the translation. Koinonia has two aspects, belonging and participation. So when the Bible talks about fellowship, it means a community with deep, close-knit relationships and involvement. As we think about what it means to gather as a church, we want to look at these two aspects, belonging and participation, in more detail. Now, our culture has become increasingly individualistic, and this has been accelerated by the pandemic, and as has our sense of isolation. And so words like self-isolation or social distances have become well-worn phrases in this time for all of us. And for much of the last 18 months, we've been confined to our homes. We've been streaming, we've been internet shopping. In fact, we don't even need to leave our homes if we want food, clothing, uh, or entertainment. Social media has in so many ways replaced physical social interaction. And many of us are connected socially through our phones and our computers, but actually many are experiencing being lonelier than ever before. Now, experts tell us that one of the major causes of rising rates in depression in the younger generation is that they're socially connected at a shallow level through their devices and to lots and lots of other people. But compared to previous generations, they spend far less time physically with their friends. Some of you will recognize this diagram, Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. As you can see at the very bottom one, um, 
what we really need after our basic needs are met, like air and food, water, shelter, whilst, once those are met, the next one is that we need meaningful connection with others, where we experience love, belonging, inclusions. Those are reckoned to be the main needs people have in order to function uh, in any sort of healthy way. And so it's crucial for our well-being that we do better, that we do much better when we're in community. Now, when in America the universities abolished segregation, a significant difference of performance from students from different backgrounds became apparent. The Asian students were consistently top of the class, and their African-American peers were getting lower grades. Now, the African-American students were highly motivated, they were capable, they came from supportive families, so why were their results different? Well, there was one key factor. African-American students studied alone, while their Asian classmates almost always studied in groups. So they created African-American student study groups, and what happened? The average grade of those students moved from D-plus to B-plus. We need each other. We need each other the same when it comes to faith. Christianity is not a solo sport. It is a team game. God understood human beings when Jesus established the church. And we can see this through the words used in the New Testament to describe it. So the church is described as a body, as a building, as a, a household or family. And these metaphors all conjure up a picture of many parts coming together to form one whole. But right now, we are in a very disrupted time in history, a time where the body has parts which are disconnected, where the building has living stones missing. The family has gaps around the table. And so we want to say to you that unless your health or some other significant challenge prevents you from doing so, which we understand may be the case for some of you, we are longing for you to make it a priority to come back to meeting and worshipping together physically. And we're saying that not just because we care about the church, but because we care about you as an individual. Some of you would count yourself as part of our church, but you're geographically distant, perhaps you're even in another country, and so obviously it's not going to be practical for you to join us physically. We're thrilled that you are able to be with us through the power of technology. Now, we're not unique in experiencing disruption. You know, many generations have experienced war and persecution and all manner of things which have challenged the routines that God designed into the pattern of church life. In fact, Acts 2 tells us that the members of the very first church in Jerusalem devoted themselves to fellowship. They met daily in each other's homes and in larger numbers in the temple courts. But then persecution broke out and it became unpopular to follow Jesus and all sorts of pressures were put on the Christians to cool off their faith and blend into wider society. And so the church began to scatter. And into this context, the author of Hebrews wrote to the dispersed believers. He said this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Now, evidently, some people were getting out of the habit of meeting together. And the writer could see the potential of the negative ramifications of this happening. And so he exhorts them to keep on meeting together, to spurring one another on, to encouraging one another. And we say the same to you today. The church is a church when it's scattered, 
but also when it's gathered. And so we've been experiencing what it's like to be scattered. And we want to touch on a few reasons this morning as to why it's important to regather. As we unpack a few reasons why gathering together as a church is so important, we're not saying that gathered church is the only place where some of these things happen, but we are saying church is a primary way that these things are facilitated. So firstly, gathered church is where we connect with others. Zoom is all well and good, and we praise God for Zoom, but uh, it's good for some things. But there's nothing that enhances human connection like being face-to-face. We've come to realize that, haven't we, over these last 18 months, physically proximate with others, whether that's here on a Sunday, whether that's with our small group, whether that's in some other context. In a talk a while back, I talked about giant redwoods, which despite being the tallest trees in the world, have relatively shallow roots. They're able to thrive because they don't grow alone. The roots of each tree intertwine with others and even fuse together, creating this vast network of support just below the surface. In a similar way, gathering together in the same space creates natural conditions for building mutually supportive relationships. We experience those unplanned conversations that happen when we bump into one another. Those brief moments of connection as we greet each other. The deeper conversations when someone is going through a tough time. These moments, these, they can foster deep and true fellowship. Here's a picture I saw recently which someone had posted on Twitter saying the thinner tree was cut years ago and the big one has been holding and feeding it since then. Someone else helpfully commented, this is called inosculation. When branches or roots of different trees are in prolonged intimate contact, they often abrade each other, exposing their inner tissues, which may eventually fuse. Similarly for us, the interactions we have with regular close contact, whether that's in small group, whether it's here on a Sunday, invite us to expose the deeper layers of our lives together. And when we do that, there's a joining that happens at a deep level. The Apostle Paul's desire for church members is, Colossians 2.2, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. Wherever you are in your faith, if you're just exploring or if you've been a Christian for many, many years, we all grow, not just by interacting personally with the Lord, but by living out our faith, rubbing shoulders with our Christian brothers and sisters. Secondly, gathered church is where we worship together. Now, worship is our highest priority. It's how we live our lives. But also, singing together is so important to being a part of the life of the church. You know, it's one thing to sing along in the car or on your screens, but it's quite another to worship with hundreds of others in the room. Now, some people have said, well, once things are back to normal, then I'll come, uh, because I can't imagine singing with a mask on. But in truth, even with masks, it's been surprising, hasn't it? And people have told us that it's been a profound experience as they've realised what they've missed. I remember the first time we were, you know, singing out together in worship, even with my mask on, I felt like tears coming to my eyes. And last Sunday, uh, at one point in the worship, I was just like totally overwhelmed with the sense of the presence of God, just because we were all singing out together. It was just beautiful. 
And then also, the gathered church is where we encounter the Holy Spirit together. And of course, the Holy Spirit isn't limited to visiting us in this building. And many of you have experienced um, experiencing the Holy Spirit, encountering him in your homes, engaging with church online. But the reality is that when we gather together corporately to worship and minister to one another, his presence is often really tangibly felt. People say to us repeatedly as they walk into the room, uh, they can feel the tangible presence of the Holy Spirit. And you know, there are some deep and meaningful exchanges that are happening as people come up to receive ministry and we're able to pray for one another. And also the scriptures encourage us to lay hands on the sick. And a couple of weeks ago, there was a lady that came up and her hips were um, misaligned and she was experiencing discomfort in her leg. And so I said, well, look, let's, let's sit you down, put her up against the chair and, and stretched her legs out. And I held her, her, her feet in my hands and we could both see that one of her feet was sticking out longer than the other. And of course, we don't know, does a leg need to grow? Does something need to shift? So I just said, Holy Spirit, um, align her, her hips, align her hips. In Jesus' name, may the hips be aligned. And, um, and then all of a sudden, she felt this pressure in her thigh, and her thigh began to sort of push her leg out until they were both the same. It's amazing. It was beautiful. Fourthly, gathered church is where we welcome new people. So through the life of the church, about 150 people have uh, decided they're going to follow Jesus and commit their lives to him during this pandemic. That's wonderful. And some, you know, have never worshipped as a follower of Jesus with their church family ever before. Some have never been even to a church. And in recent months, they and many other new people have been joining us and we go around, we meet people, we meet people probably every week who are new to faith or here for the first time. And I've talked with many, and a lot of them have said how welcome they felt being here, which is really so important. Someone I spoke to a few weeks ago told me that she started going to church as a teenager at a time when other relationships in her life were really, really hard. And meeting people in church who were welcoming, who were supportive, who were kind, uh, was one of the things that kept her coming back and growing in her faith. I was talking recently with some pastors because we're all in the same boat, like what's happening with church and what is COVID doing in terms of impact in the community of faith. And uh, more than one described exactly what we're experiencing here. We've got so many new people, but we haven't got enough regulars to welcome them. The impact of established church members welcoming new people can be profound. And so if you call Trent your home, we would love you to be here, contributing to the warm welcome and the embracing of new people. And then fifthly, gathered church is where we invest in the next generation. Now it says it takes a village to raise a child, and yet that's been really hard in lockdown. Do you know, many parents have really missed, they've felt the loss of aunties and uncles in the Lord. You know, this world is a secular village. It's trying its hardest to influence our children. And most of their waking hours, they will be shaped by the world. So being with other believers, investing in our children, even just an hour and a half a week, it is so important. Last week on our birthday celebration, we heard from Adam and Sam, who grew up in Trent Kids, and they talk about the impact that Trent Kids had on them and how formative it was for their faith. 
I remember being in Vineyard Kids a couple of years ago and just ministering to the children and watching the Holy Spirit, just touching them. And there was one particular little boy and I remember noticing him and going to pray for him. And then this year, we were at DTI, the youth festival, and this young lad, two years on, came up to me and he just said, do you remember me? And then uh, he told me what the Lord's been doing in his life. And I just felt it was such an encouragement to be able to, to, have a, a, to make an impression, to be an encouragement in his life. Now, we would absolutely love to make it possible for all our children to come back to church and to completely remove the booking system that is a current, because there's a current limit on our numbers. The last few weeks, many children have wanted to come, but they've not been able to because our capacity is limited by the number of team that we have willing to serve. And that is not okay, folks. You know, in 25 years, we've never had to turn children away. We've had problems with space and we've had to build bigger space, but we've never had problems with team. And so John and I, we both signed up and we're going to be doing once a month and we'd encourage many of you to do the same. We would love to make sure that any child who wants to come to meet Jesus and follow Jesus is able to do that. Now, finally, the gathered church is where we serve the Lord together. Now, as a body, all functioning in various ways, there is so much more that we can do together. Now, Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, and he's talking about Jesus when he says this in Ephesians 4. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, in this church, we have a really strong culture of service. Being servant-hearted is one of our hallmarks. In fact, it's something that is commented on from other church leaders and people from across the nation and beyond. And uh, I remember this year, I was at the Youth Festival DTI, and a young man, Tokoni, preached to a room full of teenagers. He did a short little message. He's somebody who's grown up in our youth. And uh, the next day, as John and I were driving out of the car park, there he was with a yellow jacket just serving on the car parking team. And I rolled down the window and I just said to Coney, that is the kind of leader we love. Just on the one hand, you could be up there preaching and everybody seems to think you're the bee's knees. But then the next day, you're just showing them you are one of them. We are all together in this. During the pandemic, our serving patterns had to change. You know, in lockdown, you found all sorts of ways to express this hallmark by loving your neighbours and reaching out to others. But at the same time, many of our areas of ministry, especially Sunday ministries, had to stop for 18 months. Now, some have been able to be revived as lockdown has eased, but a fraction of those previously serving on a Sunday rota have been involved. And so as we press into this term, with many more people coming back, we need a huge re-engagement in serving to enable us to make this happen. Now, we mentioned that Paul likens the church to a body. Being part of a body means recognising that we need each other. And that each of us needs to participate in order for us to function. Now, the human body is perfectly designed. Every cell, every organ is constructed to do its job. And like, you know, muscles, they do an amazing job. But muscles can only pull. They're not able to push. So muscles have to work in pairs. So if I only had biceps and no triceps, I would be able to bend my arm or I'd have to have it hang limp. But I wouldn't be able to push anything because I need both of those to do that. The parallel Paul paints is clear. It's all of us working together for the good of the whole. Now, even those parts of the body that are unseen have a function. 
Now, very few of us here, maybe some medics, might recognise what this is. Now, I thought it was a kidney (laughs) or maybe an (laughs) earpiece. But this is where it's found in the body. So you might have guessed it's a spleen. Now, a spleen filters out blood. It manages red blood cells and platelets, and it helps the blood clot. And it detects bacteria in our blood and helps blood cells to fight off infections. Now, whilst we can live without a spleen, without one, we're more likely to get infections. And when we do get them, it will take us a lot longer to recover. Now, here we are. We're in the auditorium, or those of you listening to us here. um, We can't see what's happening in the children's ministry. We can't see the compassion building. And, uh, you know, we are are realising that not every serving slot that we fill... So, so like, we might fill every serving slot in here. Every single place could be filled in here. But in the meantime, if our serving slot's in the children's ministry, or let's say the arches and compassion reaching out, eventually, if they're not filled, it will begin to impact not only our children's faith, but then a lot of our leaders, they are um, couples who have children, they'll start to feel like, well, well, can we really belong here? Um, it may even start to affect our giving, and then it, that affects what we can do through our compassion ministries. And so we realise that we're all part of a body. Everything needs each other. We're all attached to each other. And every area impacts another one. Like many of us, I watched uh, the England games in the Euros recently, and it's, it's really clear that in football, if one or more of the players don't perform, then the whole team loses out. And in the same way... You are unique. You know, your contribution in playing your position on the team is very, very important. It's worth noting that serving is not just for the benefit of others and meeting the needs that uh, are apparent, but behavioural experts tell us that using our gifts in the service of a greater purpose is not so much a sacrifice as it is doing what we're for. And uh, it can bring huge satisfaction and fulfillment. Watching sport as a spectator is one thing, but being on the team is far more satisfying. You know, watching England play in the Euros there, I spontaneously, even when I was watching alone, I spontaneously cheered out loud when we scored a goal. I felt a moment of elation and all the more as our team progressed further in a major tournament than they had in 55 years. Now, I say we scored a goal... But of course, we didn't. I wasn't personally involved in any way. I didn't contribute at all to that result. They, the England players, scored the goals as a team. I was just spectating. Now imagine what it must have felt like to be one of them. Every team member playing their unique position, defending, attacking, setting up with an accurate pass, one of the team driving it into the net getting the result, the elation, the fulfillment, the feeling of contributing their gifts to achieving that result must have been massive. The most invested, the most involved in a football tournament are the most fulfilled. And within the life of the church, that is also the case. You might say, John, I think you're overstating the case here. Are you suggesting that serving on a Trent Kids group or on a Connect team is as fulfilling as being part of an England winning team? (laughs) Winning England team? Well, I may be overstating the case, but perhaps it's worth us thinking about that just for a moment. What is the impact of winning a World Cup game? A nation feels good for a bit, 
People are proud of you and your teammates. There's some personal financial benefit. Your football career is advanced. That's great. What is the impact of playing your part in the life of the church, contributing to the result of it doing well? Well, where might I begin? Our areas of ministry, all of them, facilitate people far from God coming close to him, those close to him growing in their faith, growing in their effectiveness, in the extending of God's kingdom. As his ambassadors, we share the most important message in the universe the good news of salvation and eternal relationship with our creator. We express his nature, influence society to align with his design, and he is worshipped and glorified by those he's created. And the impact of all those things and more has eternal consequences, not only for the thousands of people whose lives we will touch through the life of the church, but will continue to be amplified through multiple generations to come. I found that personally quite fulfilling. That's why I've responded to God's call on my life to use my gifts in building up the body of Christ. As anyone who knows me well will testify, I am no good at football. But I can serve the Lord with what he has given me with eternal impact for his glory. And the great news is that team places are not limited to an elite few. Everyone gets to play. It's the people who play who experience the deepest sense of satisfaction. Now, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's costly. Of course it is. But there is joy in knowing I'm serving you, Lord. I'm serving the one who gave his life for me. As we make space for more adults, more youth, more children returning to in-person services and returning to small groups, that can only happen if people are willing to do the work involved. We realize that some of you may not be able to serve at the moment for a variety of reasons, uh, which is fine. But I was struck by something I heard Gary Thomas say in his book, Sacred Pathways, I read recently. Don't deny the church of God made you to be, of who God made you to be. He is the creator God who creates people who are uniquely designed to move the faith and ministry of the church forward. Be who God made you to be. You don't have to measure up to anyone else. You just have to live the life that God lays out before you. Now, as we think about serving, we're aware um, that you don't want to go back to experiencing the busyness that you were experiencing before COVID. You might be thinking, perhaps I won't serve in the same way I used to because, sorry, I've just lost all my notes. (laughs) There we go, it's here. Um, And you, as a, sorry, we've gone back to the, Sorry about this, I've just lost it here. Okay, let me just use yours. Thank you, darling. Do you want to find it in there and get myself ready? Thank you. It's good. We need each other. We absolutely do, don't we? Yeah, so you may be thinking, I don't know if I want to go back to the way I was busy before COVID. And uh, you might say, well, perhaps I won't serve in the way I used to because that will help make my life less busy. And that may be appropriate for a small portion of you. Um, But let me offer you another perspective on this. In John Ortberg's book, Soul Keeping, he recounts a conversation with Dallas Willard on the subject of ruthless elimination of hurry. And he said this, Dallas pointed out to me that there's a world of difference between being busy and being hurried. 
Being busy is an outward condition. It occurs when we have many things to do. Busyness is inevitable in modern culture. Being hurried is an inner condition, a condition of the soul. It means to be so preoccupied that I'm unable to be fully present with God, with myself and with other people. Busyness migrates to hurry when we let it squeeze God out of our lives. Jesus was often busy, but never hurried. So busyness isn't the issue. In a book, A Praying Life by Paul Miller, he writes this, even a cursory glance at Jesus's life reveals a busy life. At one point, Jesus's family tries to stage an intervention because he's so busy. You see, he loves people and he has the power to help. So he has one interruption after another. If Jesus was among us today, his cell phone would be ringing constantly. Now, a Christian life is going to be busy. There is a lot of work to be done. And you know, it's okay. The issue is that we're not supposed to be hurried. It's not the ruthless elimination of service. Trimming out serving from our lives is unlikely to be a healthy step. It could result on missing on the wonderful, fulfilling work that God has created for you to do. There may be other things like social media or Netflix, which have filled our lives, which we need to do less of, and they might well be worth dropping. So we encourage you to say yes to serving, perhaps once a month, and that may be rejoining a team that you previously were on or joining one for the first time. And obviously you can find out more by going to the trent.org slash serve um, place or head over to one of the connect areas at both sides of the auditorium. Now, some of you are far away. We recognize that you may never be able to engage with serving here in person, but you can pray. Prayer is everything. And there are ministries that may well continue online and so where that you may be able to serve. So do fill in the serve form. So as we stand still, stand at this critical junction, there's an invitation for all of us to prioritize gathering physically here on Sundays and at small group and intentionally consider where we can serve. You see, the habits and routines have changed and we're unlikely to just find ourselves kind of stumbling accidentally into doing the things we've talked about this morning. It's going to take intentionality. It's going to take commitment in order to reestablish good habits. At the Vineyard National Leaders Conference in January of last year, we showed the legacy interview, which we filmed two years ago with Carol Wimber and Bob and Penny Fulton, who were part of the Vineyard Movement from its inception. And if you've not seen it, I really would encourage you just to search for Vineyard Legacy on YouTube. Near the end, Carol shared a strong prophetic sense that she had. She said this, I'm not sure exactly what's coming, but I know it's coming and I know it's soon and I know it's huge, like nothing we've ever seen before. She said it would be scary and terrible. And I reckon that describes the pandemic, which began a few months after she said that pretty accurately. Carol ended the film reminding us that God intends to do something wonderful through all this with this exhortation to every one of us. Take your place. She said, you need to get what God has called you to do and do it with all your heart. It is so very, very important because no one else has been designed to do it like you will do it and you are the one he calls. No one else will ever be able to do what he has called you to do because we really are unique. Each one of us unique, designed for our place. We need to be 
in our place. As we head into this season with church opening up more and more, we're urging every one of you to take your place. Take your place to enable the church, the body of which you are a part, to gather again as we did before. Gathering together has so many important aspects which we haven't touched on today, but these, these six are a good start. Gathered church is where we connect with others, where we worship together, where we encounter the Holy Spirit together, where we welcome new people, where we invest in the next generation, and it's where we serve the Lord together. If you've not yet renewed your habit of being here on a Sunday, we want to encourage you to come back. If you were serving in an area of ministry before the pandemic, it would be wonderful if you would rejoin that team. And if you weren't but would be willing to serve, we would love it if you get involved.